Talk with Ben Tompkins. Hey, what's good, everybody? How you doing? This is Real Talk. I am Ben Tompkins. We are presented by Nobody Currently. We're just doing our thing, putting out great episode after great episode, producing content on top of content. And boy, we got another special show for you today. So, I am very excited about this one. This is my buddy Nick Jordan and I, and I can't wait to dig into it. But first, I got to give a quick shout out to everybody that wished me a happy birthday. Thank you all. Thank you. Seriously. That was awesome. I had, uh, I was just inundated with text messages and LinkedIn messages and Facebook posts and it was awesome. You guys really know how to make a guy feel special and loved and thought about and I'm 30 now. People tell me that your 30s are your 20s just with money. So I got that going for me. Nobody ever believes that I'm 30 years old and I still look forward to that babyface trend carrying on this new legacy, right? So I'm in my 30s now, 30, flirty, and thriving, and I am thriving, and it kind of feels good. And I was really excited about the turn of the decade. That can freak some people out. They're like, oh my God, I'm not going to be 20 anymore, and hitting 30 is just a milestone, but I'm really happy to be here. This is going to be my best year yet and my best decade yet. My 30s are going to be lit. So... This was kind of a lonelier birthday a little bit. I spent some time with some friends on the weekend, but on the day of my actual birthday, I I really didn't do much with anybody. I did go to the Trap Music Museum here in Atlanta, and that was pretty cool. Got to see a bunch of different exhibits, artwork. Honestly, some of my favorite artists are trap artists. T.I., Jeezy, Cardi B was in there, Nicki Minaj was in there. There was a lot. There was a lot of really great artists that uh, I've just, I love, you know, I I love. Meek Mill was another one. So it was really cool. They had exhibits, but it was quick. I mean, you were in and out in less than 20 minutes. And uh, that was what I did on my birthday. So for anybody that was curious, it was lit. I didn't even have any cookie cake or anything on my birthday. I guess I'm saving that. I'm going to be home actually next week. So this is pretty exciting as well before I jump into this episode real quick. I'm going back home to Louisville to grab the rest of my stuff because finally after five and a half weeks of living out of this hotel room, your boy's apartment is finally about to open up and I am finally about to be on the other side of what has been a very grueling five and a half weeks in a cheap shitty hotel. It's been tough man. It's been a grind. It's been wearing on me a little bit. I have uh, certainly earned my stripes here, trapping and, and hustling out of this place, and now I'm ready to move into my apartment and ready to get settled and feel like I'm really on a strong footing here in Atlanta. So I'm looking forward to that, man. But you know what I'm also looking forward to is this episode right here. So let's go ahead and jump into this. Because first of all, Nick Jordan, this dude is my dude, okay? And Nick Jordan is also an industry staple. There's nothing this man can't do. He will defend your best player. He will shoot from the perimeter. He will get all in. No, I'm just kidding. That's Kobe Bryant for you guys wondering. This man can host. This man can write. He can shoot. He can edit. He can produce. He's a leader, a hustler, as genuine as they come, and he makes an outstanding addition to any team. Nick joined the show to share his personal journey and his professional journey through the sports journalism world, including stops at ESPN, 
being the director of creative services for a minor league ball club, numerous internships and freelance work, and of course, an esteemed showrunner at the University of Kentucky's student radio station, WRFL. Anybody that's worked in the industry or anyone listening that knows someone who's interested in working in the industry, in journalism, in sports, whatever the case may be, they will benefit. You will benefit from listening to this episode. Not only is Nick one of the most knowledgeable colleagues that I'm proud to know, he speaks very candidly about the ups and downs of choosing this path and chasing it, the perception versus the reality of working at a company like ESPN and what it was like making that leap from the worldwide leader after he was done there and his time came to an end, much, much more. We touch on a lot of different stuff. And we also touch on some lighter stuff in there too, like his favorite moment from one of the broadcasts that he's worked and other iconic sports memories. And then finally, Nick wraps things up with his realist talk, and it's something everybody needs to hear. Major shout out to my boy right here for persisting down this path and being the Swiss Army Knife that he is. It's been fun to watch and admire from where I'm sitting. And here's to many more accolades and celebrations, my friend. Without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Nick Jordan. All right, we now welcome Nick Jordan to the show. Nick, how you doing, buddy? Oh, Ben, it's good. It's good. I'm doing well. It feels like old times, my friend. It really does. That's awesome. Love it. So usually this is the part where I introduce my guests and how we met. And to do that, we got to go back a while for this one. So we got linked up at the University of Kentucky and we were both grinding in the journalism program. We started to host a show on the weekends, WRFL, and our friendship has continued to blossom. And you have stayed in the industry and you have stayed grinding as a freelancer and with different companies and positions and you've carved out a really nice position for yourself in the industry. So for all the people that graduated with us that didn't continue on, you have, which is a testament to just how hard you work and how hard you hustle. So it's awesome to have you back on the show, man. I appreciate it, man. I'm one of the, I consider myself one of the few that just never got out. (laughs) I just kind of stuck in it and I just kind of blinked and, you know, six years later, here I am. (laughs) Well, we're going to take our listeners through the moves that you've made to be six years into this career. And I'm curious to know really about your journey through all of these different jobs and sticking it in the career, which is really, I mean, you know, I would be surprised if the majority of people fall out of the industry somewhere after the three-year mark. And so you're definitely on the right path. And so we'll speak a lot about that, but I definitely want to learn more about your story and hear about how you grew up and the experiences that shaped you and just do the whole life thing like I always like to do with these guests. Oh, I love it. Oh, I can't wait. I'm finally getting to do the life <laughs> thing here. All right. Kid from Lexington, Kentucky, elementary, middle, high school, the whole deal all the way through here. And how I really got interested in video was I was just the weird kid that would watch Kentucky games and just sit there and wonder and be like, oh, the little graphic thing just moved on that side like noticing the stuff in broadcast that no one in their right mind would even think of. I was miserable to watch games with as a kid because <laughs> I always pointed out like all the little production things that I didn't even know what their names were. I would just like say it. I'd be like, oh, look, the score thing over there and their name right there looks weird. 
So like eventually you start watching enough as a kid, then thankfully with the advances of the internet now, like you could see videos of what the inside of a production truck looks like on YouTube, mm -hmm. like crazy stuff that like years ago you wouldn't be able to do. So you get to see these little insider little tips and tricks growing up and it just always fascinated me. But I've always been like kind of a Swiss army knife really in media as a whole growing up. I wrote for our school newspaper in high school. I was a writer at one point and dead set I wanted to be a journalist and write newspaper articles and do all of that. But honestly, it just wasn't in the cards. Like I didn't enjoy the process of getting eight edits before it went mm -hmm. back out. Because at that point, then is it really your word? You know what I mean? Like it kind of turns away from it. You sacrifice a lot when you work with an editor. Like editors make you better, but you do you, yeah. what ends up being printed or published could be vastly different from the entire vibe that you're trying to come across in that article. Oh, exactly. And like, that's the problem. It's like when you have that creative mindset, it's hard to shake off the editors and the other help. Obviously, as I've advanced in my career, that's the only way you can really advance. You've got to have outside sources. You got to have outside people looking for you. But I ended up getting into college and kind of fell in love with the TV side. When I was a little kid, I thought back to like watching those UK games and wanting to be an announcer and wanting to work for the company with the four red letters, you know, yeah. when I was little. So thankfully I've gotten, I got a ton of chances at UK. I mean, the University of Kentucky had a great relationship with the SEC network and ESPN. And I was able to get on through there and work on these games that were on SEC network plus back all the way in like 2014, yeah. 2015, around that era, man. And like, you know, I would skip, there'd be times where I might've, might've allegedly skipped a class yeah. to go to a baseball game at noon. But like, Hey, it'd be like that. Like, you know, like it, <laughs> that's how you're advancing your career. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I got opportunities there in UK was a great experience. And of course I'd be remiss if I'm not talking about the blue and white sports man. report on 88.1 FM WRFL Lexington. <laughs> that corny DJ voice at 9 a.m. on Sunday. And that's when the show was, you all. Like, all the listeners at home right now, it was on at 9 a.m. on Sundays. That was a slot that, like, Ben got <laughs> on the initial one. And then when Ben graduated, they just kept it with me. They were like, listen, we'll just keep it with you. You figure it out. And imagine you being in college, like a Saturday night, you're going out partying while you're waking up at 9 a.m. on Sunday <laughs> trying to figure out how a radio, like, trying to turn your microphone on. I was like, all right, uh, there it is. Okay, there's a button. All right, welcome in. Here's the show. Let's get it going, guys. You're with me for another hour. We're just going to keep on rolling. Yeah. So there are many shows like that. But uh, really what happened after college was I kind of stayed around Lexington. I stayed with my family here in Lexington while I worked two jobs. While I was still working with the University of Kentucky doing video for them, as well as working for a local news station here in Lexington doing sports photography. And I did that for about six months. And, you know, like any parents, my parents were asking, okay, are you still looking for like a bigger job? Like you're still looking to move out? And I was like, yeah, of course. No, I want to live with my parents for the rest of my life. No, like, <laughs> you know, you do that, you save a little bit of money and go home. And uh, I got the call from ESPN with my time there working at the University of Kentucky in their school control room, working directly with that talent. End up getting the call to work as a production assistant for them down in Charlotte, North Carolina. So me, myself, I'm a kid from Lexington, lived here my entire life. And now I'm being told, hey, you're moving six hours away, Charlotte, North Carolina, but it's your dream job. So what are you going to do? Well, you're not going to say no. 
I thought back when I was a kid, you know, I've always wanted to work for this company and you finally get that call and it's like, wow, like how Ooh, they made a mistake. That's the first thought I had. I was like, man, they're like 200 other qualified people that are like way better than I am at this. But I mean, that day I got the call, man, you know, it's like any, anybody and like any of you listeners at home too, it's like any career you have, like your biggest dream, you get that call and it's just like a flood of emotions. There's laughter, there's tears, there's just like, oh my God, like, how am I going to move in a month? Like you start thinking all the logistics and it was great. I spent about two and a half years there at the company and that's where I really learned everything about video production. I mean, that was, it was more or less, I considered that grad school Mm -hmm. in a way for video production, just because of the vast amounts of stuff you learn, not only on a creative side, but like for what I was really interested in and like sports broadcasting and that side and how it's made, it was invaluable, but stayed there for two and a half years, cut my teeth. And then I ended up looking for a job closer back home in Kentucky. I felt like at the time when I was at, when I was there at the company, I kind of hit my top, so to speak, internally, personally, something just felt missing from that. And I really wanted to, at that point, start really developing myself and getting into more of a higher level position outside of a production assistant. So ended up getting a job back home, took a fairly substantial pay cut Mm. and went back to Bowling Green, Kentucky to work minor league team Mm -hmm. there, minor league baseball for a year. This was about 2019 at this point. And I was the director of creative services. So I went from being, we need you to edit this video and having to always answer somebody to being, Hey, you're the boss now. Congrats. What are you going to (laughs) do? And I was brought in halfway through their season too, which was very challenging because think about like anytime you've ever had a job, think about your boss coming in halfway, like through that job, like, as you know what you're doing, it's a very challenging dynamic. Yeah. You know, it's very tough to kind of come in and be like, Hey guys, listen, I'm going to, you know, be in charge now. And they're like, well, wait, we've been fine. Like what, who the hell are you? You know, yeah, like that's yeah. really, and it's fair. Like I would have said the same thing and it was just amazing how welcomed I was there and how everyone just kind of came together right out of the gate. I mean, you know, we, I thought I was going to struggle a lot, And within two weeks, you know, I felt like I'd been there like two months. It was one of those of just like you build it up so quick. But unfortunately, as a lot of people had experience with was COVID-19 taking away a lot of jobs and COVID killed the entertainment industry, utterly destroyed it, especially the sports because no one's playing. You couldn't do anything in 2020 was completely gone. So I ended up getting end up taking a layoff out of that, which was not unexpected, you know, minor league baseball, when you don't have a season and your fans are the only things bringing you in the gate, like it's like that. So, you know, that's one of those, it's kind of a, it's a humbling moment when you have that and you're just kind of sitting on your couch and you're like, okay, what next? What am I going to do now? Like, (laughs) so that was the whole department. Then if you were the director of creative services, that would have been the whole department that they laid off. Right. So it, it actually wasn't, it more or less came down to money, unfortunately, is what it yeah. came down to. And it was just really the real talk aspect when there's no fans in the stands, you just can't generate enough. So when you're kind of making a director level salary, mm-hmm. 
it's kind of tough. You know, it's one of those of like, it's a very finicky situation, so to speak. But yeah, yeah, it's like it's like the worst type of backhanded compliment because they're like, you're great at what you do. We love you. You're in this position of power, but we just can't pay you. So we love you. But, you know, bottom line. And that's effectively what it really boiled down to. And that was like that with a lot of minor league teams. It was either you could, you know, like I heard of other teams, too, where you take X amount of a pay cut. We can only pay you so much. And that's just the way it is just because we're a business. And that was kind of the way it really was there is like, we can only offer X amount just because nothing's happening. Like we, we make all of our money during the season. So it was one of those, I could have been very bitter, but I wasn't at all. I kind of knew. And it was another thing too. Like I kind of could see it coming. Like, I think a lot of people who are working in sports could kind of tell, like there's going to be a little bit of a reckoning. Like you're either going to have to, figure out how you're going to make rent or find something else to do. Yeah. And that was a tough thing. So I ended up becoming one of the uh, ton of people that were in the Kentucky unemployment system for the first time during their whole debacle of a mixture of just everything going wrong at the same time into an outdated system. You know, there were people who weren't getting paid unemployment for what, like eight, nine months, something like that. Like yeah. chaos. And I was fortunate enough that I was still able to freelance on the side with places in the horse industry and with the universities that were doing odds and ends streams as well and different video projects. So I counted myself very lucky during that time because it was, I mean, it's one of those that you would, it's tough when you are just kind of scraping by trying to find jobs. You know, you just kind of wake up in the mornings and go, okay, well, let me, you know, work out. Let me at least get myself mentally prepared and keep myself ready to go. Mm-hmm. And you can do that physically and that's fine. And really the biggest challenge is the mental game is keeping yourself mentally good through that because that's when, you know, doubts start flooding your head naturally. You know, when it's month five and you're just kind of scraping by doing odds and ends freelance jobs, you're like, okay, what am I doing here? Everything's going wrong. But that's when I really learned, you just got to trust the process. I mean, you just got to keep your head down. You got to keep grinding. There's two things you could do when you're in that situation. You can kind of lay down and just be like, nothing's going to go right. Everything's going to go wrong. And like, it's fine to be like that. I was definitely like that. I can admit that. I was like that some days. But then you got to remember to pull yourself up and just keep pushing because there's always another day. You know, that sun's always going to come up. That sun's not going to stay down for 24 straight hours. It's going to come back up. So that really helped me a lot going through that process. I ended up then moving around the state and now back here in Lexington where I work full-time in the equestrian industry. And it's one of those that it's kind of a, that was a very nice moment when you get the call from when you've been scraping by just doing odds and ends jobs here and there at, every horse track you could name. And then you finally (laughs) get that call. It's like, Hey, here's some stability. And it's been wonderful. And at my new place, I basically do a lot of our video projects, handle a lot of the administrative side of stuff. So like the contracts and a bunch of other money negotiations, anything that involves our video and our network department, really our streaming services is really it. But yeah, that's kind of my uh, long winded 
very i kept it pretty on track though i feel like then like oh that was fire that was fucking fire dude (laughs) (laughs) i want to circle back first of all i mean it's just the courage to stay in the saddle and to deflect that outside noise when you probably have friends that you're seeing take these salaried positions and move on to you know selling their soul basically for that salary but they're going off and there's bachelor parties and there's boys trips and there's all kinds of vacations that you're watching people take and it's like man here I am scraping by but the fact that you were able to claw and scratch and fight your way through those months of uncertainty and that self-doubt man what a great feeling it must be to be sitting on the other end of this screen right now talking about the fact that you did that you know that like you did that you did that no yeah no for sure man it's i mean it's crazy to think of you know it's one of those like i always do that game of if i could talk to myself six years ago or like five years ago in that same exact moment and just be like trust me just keep the process going it's going to be a weird and wild ride but (laughs) enjoy it man because it's just, it's going to be chaos, but you just got to ride it out. <laughs> <laughs> what helped you stay up during those times? Were you reading books? Were you listening to podcasts? Were you watching movies? What did you draw inspiration from during that time period where things could have gone so many different ways, but you just stayed in the saddle? Honestly, a lot of music, man. A lot. My Spotify, my, it's embarrassing how much I listen to music anyways and listen to podcasts, which also Spotify. Real talk, Ben Thompson hey. is on there. Come on, quick plug. Hey. Gotta give it out. <laughs> shout out my homie. But I listen to a lot of music and like my Spotify wrapped every year is so embarrassing. I just never show it. Like everyone like tweets theirs out at the end of the year of like, here's your top song. Here's your top five playlist. Mine yeah. are all over the place. It could be like, it could be like, I'll, I'm trying to think of a good comparison right now. It could be like T-Pain on one end and then the Phantom of the Opera soundtrack on the other. Like it goes, <laughs> it's everywhere. But really the, the fun thing I've learned with music is it can really kind of calm you down. And it, one, kind of takes your mind off of whatever you're talking about. Because the way I did, like the way I love to listen to music, I love to listen to the lyrics too and just invest in like what the song is trying to tell you and the story the song is trying to say. And I feel like a lot of times what that would do for me is that would help like reset, like when you're feeling down and you're just like, man, this sucks. Like everyone has that one album. Everyone has that one song that you can put on. You're like, okay, things are good right now. Like I've got my mood back up. I've get myself in a clear space, but yeah, like really there it's kind of boring, but just a lot of just different music really just helped me through it. I also want to circle back. Who produced your show when you were there your senior year after I had left? Was Kyle still doing it with you? Kyle wasn't. It was someone by the name of Curtis Franklin. And Kurt was, he is now working in local news. And I worked with him during when I was working with the SEC Network UK or working for UK for the SEC Network. So me and him were students in video together. And we kept the show going for... We he kept the show going for a while, and truthfully, I don't know what happened to the Blue and White Sports Report, and that kind of bums me out a little bit. Like, <laughs> I don't know the full ending because when I handed off the reins, it was one of those of like, I'm the old man, I'm getting out, <laughs> I'm sitting down, I'm you know getting out of it, and so 
you know, I don't know whatever really happened after that, but man, Blue and White Sportsport, I'll tell you, for the years between us, we were running it, yeah. dude. Just a really cool opportunity. I mean, not a lot of students get to do something like that. And as you know, those on-air reps are so important. They're so hard to come by. And just for Ryan, who was the programming director there at WRFL when I was just kind of launching that and building out that team with you and Kyle and Haley to mm-hmm. trust us, you know, to trust us yeah. and give us that hour. And especially, I mean, okay. So for anybody that isn't familiar, WRFL on the FM dial, their number is 88.1. So they're saying is all the way to the left. Left. <laughs> yeah. So it is one of the most, I mean, it's a student run station at a public university. It's very liberal. It's, it's very, it's all the way to the left, but they made time for us to come in and talk about sports and couldn't have been a better time. I mean, certainly any time in the 2010s when you're talking about Kentucky sports and basketball, especially just this meteoric rise to what they've become. But we were right in the middle of that. And especially that 2014, 15 year, they go undefeated and we're up there every Sunday morning, man. That was wild. Man, that I forgot. You are so right though. We were in a good era for the most part, like the Stoops era started getting kicked off. So like, they're starting to get excitement with that, but basketball, that, oh man, I forgot about the 2014 <laughs> so conversations we would have were insane. But honestly, Ben, I think my favorite part of the show was when we got away from sports yeah. is the random little side ones. Like just, they would, defo- I'm trying to even think of a good example, but like they would just devolve into the, like, I just imagine someone like driving around Sunday, an easy Sunday morning, flipping over and just hearing all three of us screaming at the same time about like what the worst like Halloween movie was just something completely off topic, completely out of the blue. I oh, loved it. I, I remember doing uh, reads for the big blue pantry with some Alicia Keys saxophone in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about the Alicia Keys saxophone. Some people want it. The big blue pantry would like to. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah, that was those were fun times, man. But like people listening and especially the people who are tuned in listening to this in terms of pulling from the the, the journalism journey, it's hard to come by, but if you can finagle and, and finesse your way into those reps, you can sit years later and laugh about it like we are now, but also cherish in it and relish in it because they are very valuable. They're very hard to come by, but yet here we were, you know, just 22, 23 year old students and doing it every morning. Like it was a professional job. And I think it certainly set us both up for where we've landed now. And certainly as Haley has also gone on to do some really cool things in the market. And so it's cool to look back on that. And it's honestly really cool that you kept it going too. Like, you know, that you were able to pass that torch on and even if it didn't stay i mean not a huge surprise that station and their programming didn't keep sports talk on there you know but uh, oh shocking i know i was floored too (laughs) (laughs) but for a couple years that was a really cool significant thing we were the show that and i loved how like the thing i love the most about blue one sport is what we did with that show in college we had the free reign to do whatever we wanted Mm -hmm. we created our own graphic we created like everything our own segments we basically were just for those listening at home we were basically just given an hour and told do what you want 
And the fact that one, I'll say this, the structure you put in place, Ben, I followed that to a T because it was just perfect. Like the way we did the segments, EDM Sundays. I didn't forget about those. (laughs) Uh, But like stuff like that, like, and again, as a college kid, like you said, you know, being a senior in college and being able to be like, oh yeah, I have, I have a sports show. Like I have my own sports radio show that's over the radio actually that you can just tune into your car whenever. You know, it's those opportunities of, truthfully if you really want to break it down it's just knocking on the right doors mm-hmm. and even if that door someone says hey it's locked be like hey nope i'm coming in like we're figuring this out like i just need a shot like just give me one chance i promise yeah and i think that kind of can also tailspin into like some really good advice as well for these kids like just you gotta be persistent mm-hmm. what was it about sports and storytelling and video production that inspires you? What was it in the beginning that made you, I mean, did you know immediately when you were younger, like you kind of touched on it at the top, but like, can you give me some stories about what that looked like for you back then? Yeah. Like when I just remember kind of being a kid and watching, like, have you ever, I want to ask you one quick question and it relates to that, Ben, have you ever Mm -hmm. watched something and like the hairs on your arms stick up and it's a powerful moment you go, Ooh, that was cool. Like if it's a big three and the crowd screams and you just see students rushing the court, no one's talking. All you're hearing is just the natural sound of people going crazy. That sort of thing. That's that emotion I wanted to be a part of. Like I wanted to be a part of that moment of telling stories that people 40 years later go, okay, you remember watching that game? Like you remember that shot and how nuts it looked? That is when I was little and I was like, I want to be a part of that because it's nothing to me is more satisfying. I'm one of those people that I love seeing work appreciated. I think everyone does. Really, when you look at video and like look at the sports side of that and watch it on TV, it's that raw emotion. It's that feeling of, you know, you're witnessing something special. Like, you know, you're witnessing a historic moment. So when you're younger, what I really want to do. And I saw that I was like, I want to be a part of that. Like, that's a special moment. I want to help bring that to somebody because that is something that they're going to remember for the rest of their lives. I mean, we all remember any sports team, like, you know, UNC's big shots, like, you know, when they've hit Mm -hmm. some big ones, you know, we all know that I know when Kentucky has hit some big ones and missed some big ones. But it's really kind of just boils back down to like doing something that in my heart I knew felt right. And I know that sounds insane to think of watching sports TV and start thinking about how in your heart it feels right. But I'll never forget. I had a boss who told me to work in this industry. You have to be a little different. You can't you're you're not going to be. A normal you gotta be kind of an outside the box like you gotta be different and embrace being different mm-hmm. so really it was when i was just kind of young just watching and seeing those moments and i am so fortunate through my career that i've gotten to take part in some of those moments whether it be the women's college world series or whether it be a local minor league baseball team getting into the playoffs and celebrating with champagne and going crazy on the field you see these little moments that people are going to remember for the rest of their lives and being able to be there to document it, man. I mean, it's, there's no better feeling. 
Was the high school writing gig that you had when you were working for the school paper, was that like your very first experience in the field? Yeah, that was the very first. It was at Dunbar, the Lamplighter is what it was called. And that was a student (laughs) newspaper there. And I remember getting in there because I was, I'd always read the local Lexington paper and I always read the sports section. That was just a go-to when this thing they used to do called delivering newspapers before the internet. <laughs> hey, there he is again. Back in my day. Back in my day. <laughs> I'm going to get roasted for that. There is not even close. Someone who is being like, this kid in their late 20s is saying back in my day? Are you kidding me? <laughs> who does he think he is? But no, it, I hate it. I just lost track of my thought there. Uh, no, going back to your very first gig, this is like the first time that you're working for a newspaper and getting that experience. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so working with my high school newspaper, it was a great experience because it gets you out of your comfort zone in high school, being a journalist and having to ask questions. That's one of those mm-hmm. things that you ask a lot of high schoolers be like, Hey, can you go up to someone random and ask them a couple of questions? Be like, no, are you kidding me? Absolutely not. That's like, that was my first mentality of like, I don't want to do that. But then you start thinking, it's like, no, well, if you really want to do this field, you got to do that. Like you got to do the awkward called the man on the street interviews. You got to do the mm-hmm. awkward ones and just get through them. And it really was a fun experience because the first time, like we physically had them printed out too. And I was page designing as well. So I would do the sports page and then lay out all the columns on the sports page. And like those, that was my first experience of working in production areas and going to like 10 or 11 at night, working on stuff in high school. And you're just like, man, I hope it's not like this for the rest of my career. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Go figure. But no, but it was really cool because like, you look on the back and like you're physically, it's tangible. You can physically hold something you created or help create yeah. and help write. And it's just like super cool. I still have those somewhere. I mean, that's the other thing too. I've never thrown those away. So I still have these horrible 250, 300 word quote unquote articles about what do you think Keeneland's like? You know, like just the goofiest things I could find just because I'm a kid, you know, you're a high school kid. Yeah. Like, I, and sorry, I wasn't one of the ones that's going to go down to City Hall <laughs> and sit there in high school. I was the one who was going to cover sports and try to just have fun with it. But no, man, it was a lot of fun. That first gig. Yeah. I don't think anyone ever forgets their first gig, really. No. And I still keep all of my, I have my newspapers that I have bylines in from my senior year in high school, as well as the Kentucky Colonel. So I, it just, I don't know, it's some, something about that. You just hang on to that stuff. So I forgot you wrote for the Colonel. I forgot about that. Yeah. That's briefly. Wild. Yeah. Very briefly, but that was good. Actually, the one, one of the ones I have saved from high school, mm-hmm. it is a redemption story that I wrote about Michael Vick, about him. This was at the time when he was like, with the Eagles. So this is like 2010, yeah. 2011. And it was, it, it starts out with his inmate number. I mean, hooks you right from the start. It's a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> yes. I swear to God. 
He's yeah. his inmate number, Benny yeah. T. Yeah, I'm like, to normal people, this might not seem like anything, but to Michael Vick, it's an identity, something like that, you know? Yeah. And That's yeah, I, I, you know what? I might still have it in my portfolio somewhere floating around out there if I'm applying to a job. Good. good. <laughs> I, I, say, like... I say bring it out. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so once you finish up at UK, had you been doing any internships while you were there? I mean, we know that you were doing the radio show, and that is more than an internship. But outside of that, were you doing anything outside of your classes? And can you just speak to how important internships are when you're trying to build journalism experience? Oh, I mean, it's invaluable. I mean, you have to. That was the first thing all of our journalism professors told us is, especially in journalism school, was you need internships whenever you can get them. And in a lot of other industries, that's paid. Mm -hmm. I don't remember hardly getting paid for any internships <laughs> in college. It was all just, hey, we got pizza for you, though, man. We got that. Hey, we know you're a college kid. You're hungry. God. You're and like, I did it because, hey, saved on grocery bills. I'll take it. But it's kind of that swallowing your pride and just being like, okay, where can I go intern at? And I interned with iHeartRadio in Lexington, kind of doing all the different stations. So one of the big things we did, too, was we had to work Red, White, and Boom every year, which mm. is the country concert that's at the minor league stadium in Lexington. And that is a story for another day because, oh, my goodness, that was chaotic. But all these internships, you know, there were internships I had that weren't really internships. Some of them were just odds and ends gigs. You pick up writing. Like, you just all you need is really just one example. If you can have one example of something you're applying to for an internship role, that's all you need. If that one example is good, they can overlook a lot of other stuff and they can say, okay, he's serious about this. Let's give him a shot. Mm -hmm. And it's more or less one of those things that just, it, it's hard to explain just how valuable they are mainly just because you need to build your resume up. Like in college, my resume looked like a Picasso painting because you would see freelance gig right there. Another freelance gig internship technically did a freelance gig there for a couple days, you know? And so it's gotta be chaos. Like you just gotta be open to doing a lot. And like, I know, and for a lot of people, that's a big ask, like, and I don't blame them. Like it's not the most glorious industry starting out in, but once you get to where you want to go, it can be very rewarding. Yeah, it's funny, too, because I think when people think about their career, they think about things in terms of a very linear path. Mm -hmm. You're going to get in this entry-level position, and then you'll get promoted, and then maybe you get to a lower-level management position, and then eventually you can continue to ascend until you can go and die in upper management like everybody oh, else. Yeah. You know, <laughs> But in journalism and the life of a freelancer – it is very non-linear. I mean, you're talking about connecting the dots over time of all these different pieces, and each time you're building yourself up. You, like like the Picasso, that's such a great analogy because you're taking all these different skills and lessons and experiences that you're learning on the fly, and you're putting it together, and you're building this masterpiece. And I think that's an important part for anybody that's trying to break into journalism to understand is that it's not going to be 
cut and dry, start and finish, here you go. And even like you moved to Charlotte and that's how you jump in terms of the ladder. You know, I I think about our friends who have started at local radio stations or television stations and the way that they jump markets is the way that you take promotions. You know, before I got into journalism school, I didn't know that that's how it was. I just, I, you know, you don't know. And especially like if you grow up in a big city, and not that Louisville is a huge city, but that's where I grew up. But to think yeah. that's the top of the ascension path in Kentucky. Yeah. And if you had grown up in Charlotte or if you'd grown up in Atlanta or if you'd grown up in Chicago or like one of these big, you're like, wait, so I can't just start here where I'm from? I got to yeah. go to fucking Barstow or, you know, <laughs> wherever. I got to live in Ohio for four years. Yeah. Nothing wrong with my friends from Lima. If you're less than you're from Lima, we love you. Like, ain't nothing wrong with you. <laughs> What's the weather in Waco like again? <laughs> so it's just like, man. But, you know, again, coming back to this, just the fact that you haven't ever been – discouraged or dissuade enough to stop and to to do something else which feels like i don't know i mean have you ever been faced with that like what's the closest you ever came to being like you know what maybe i'll just go sell pharmaceuticals or maybe i'll just go work for this company or something that is so funny you bring that up when i was kind of in the middle of grinding after the pandemic while the market was still recovering which it's now recovered very well so the job's finally recovered. But while I was kind of looking around for that, I was thinking, I was at the point, I was like, you know what, maybe I'll just go into sales. Maybe I'll just like sell insurance or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I remember applying for like one of those logistics places mm -hmm. where they have like you as like a phone rep and like you can earn a ton of money, but you have to work every single day for the rest of your life to do that. And I, I remember doing the interview. I would like, filed for the interview and of course they're just like yeah sure well like here's you know time for the interview and i remember the lead up to that and i was like you know what this like i just kept thinking to myself i'm like do i want to do this every day for the rest of my life because i feel like that's the path i'm going to go down if i end up getting out of what i actually really like to do you know and not saying that you have to love your job but I mean, it helps a lot when you find those things in your job that make you get up in the morning and want to go do it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I would say, I mean, that was the closest I ever got. I almost did the uh, ultimate. I haven't even heard of it going from journalism school to selling. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, <laughs> I did that. I know yeah. you know that path. I know you know that path. Definitely. Yeah. And you know what? I was scared. I, I moved out of Kentucky and got into sales because I was scared that if I started down the journalism path, I might not ever make it to a big city like I so desperately craved when I was graduating. So I kind of copped out a little bit by moving away and going to work in sales in the Bay Area. And then it was finally when I was experiencing some pretty major depressive episodes and just kind of like getting thrown around by life a little bit that yeah. I was like, you know what, what am I even doing here still? Like I, like you, you know, you're two years in Charlotte, you called that your grad school. It's like your NBA in the real world. That was what California was for me. And, and then after so many things, I was like, dude, I'm ready to go back and 
pursue what I built for myself in college but then never pursued. So it's it can be terrifying to think I might go to Waco and I might yeah. not ever like ascend past that. But I mean, yeah. you just got to do it. Can you talk to me about the importance of taking that leap of faith and what's going through your mind at that time when you get that call and Charlotte's on the other line and like, Nikki J, come on, baby, we got a spot for you. What's going through your mind? You don't even think you accept it. I mean, that's, (laughs) that's the truth. You accept it and have fun and go, Oh, Oh my gosh. What did I just do? And like, you almost just want to throw up. You're just like, did I just do that in like a second? Like, Done. Signed. (laughs) (laughs) But you do. I mean, there are some opportunities that you just have to do that, that you don't have another choice. Because if I were to say no to that, that probably would have been the end of that road. For sure. Mm -hmm. Beyond the benefit Mm -hmm. of a doubt, I would be doing something else if I would have said no to that. But as soon as you get that call, you know, you start thinking of all the logistics that go behind that. So I had about 30 days before I had to be in Charlotte. I was like, okay, at this point I had a car that was completely broken. So I had to go get a new car, (laughs) had to get an apartment in Charlotte, go visit Charlotte. And that was the most stressful part was just finding an apartment. I luckily found one pretty close to where I was at there in a really good spot. But that month you're thinking the whole time of, oh my gosh, like there is 20 million things I have to do. But then you realize at the end of the day, like, hey, this is all for the dream you wanted. This is the dream you're building. You just, it's not, it might not be fun right now. And there's definitely going to be times where it's not going to be fun while you're there, but it'll be worth it. I mean, I remember having to drive from Lexington to Charlotte. I packed whatever I could in my car, literally packed whatever possessions I could fit in there until the moving truck that was delayed about a week could get to my apartment. So I just packed everything up smacked the back of my car. I was like, all right, let's go to Charlotte. Drove to Charlotte for like a, I think 9am flight and then had to fly up to Connecticut for my training up at the headquarters there, which was an insane experience. I mean, Mm -hmm. that, that networks campus is crazy. There's like 12 buildings. I'm probably undershooting now. There's probably 16 by this point, but it's just chaos. So like that whole day, I'm traveling really on my own for the first time, driving that long on my own for the first time. I'm going through Tennessee and going into North Carolina that morning driving, thinking, what the hell am I doing? Like, what what am I doing right now? I'm driving to an airport I've never been to to park my car with all my possessions for like four days, just in some parking lot there, hoping everything's back when I'm, (laughs) you start thinking all these logistics, but then you get enamored once you're finally in it. Once you're finally in there and you're like, holy cow, okay, now I'm actually living my dream. Like, I don't really care what happens past this. To me right now, this is my peace. Yeah. So when I remember sitting in my hotel in Connecticut, just being like, okay, I'm at peace with all of this. Like, this is what I want to do. But that month, Ben, was just, I mean, as you know, when you move somewhere radically different than where you're from it's that first i don't know how you felt but like my first month was just a lot of growth really i would say yeah yeah you're standing on your own two feet for the first time you're having to build back up networks that you've 
been, you know, blessed to have and be surrounded with all your life. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, again, like that big Picasso analogy, again, you're like, where's my gym? Where am I going to shop for groceries? Where's my, you know, you're just kind of going through that whole list. I want to jump back. So, okay. So let's talk about ESPN because that is the dream job for kids to get. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to get to an ESPN or a Fox Sports and you did it. So what do you think was different about the experience in terms of what you thought going into it or, or what the general perception is of people that are working in journalism that think, mm-hmm. I want to get to ESPN versus what it was actually like being in the building and, and what you were doing? It is because there is no way to prepare yourself. Truthfully, there really is no way because I think people don't realize how much work goes in from so many different people in so many different departments into any game you see live on TV. It is an insane amount behind the scenes. So when you're a production assistant, more or less what your job is, you're not getting coffee the whole time. Like that's not how it works there. You're doing stuff. You could be preparing for eight, nine different games in a week. There were times where it would hit that, where you're talking to nine different producers and making sure they get the video they need on air so that they can have a successful show and kind of an elevated, very nice show and look smart in cases, you know, like have video. There's a player, former player there. They kind of know a former player's there. You might be asked as a PA, hey, go find it in the video archives and find the clip of it. And, you know, I think the biggest misconception in journalism is a lot of people think that you can go on air immediately at ESPN and mm. not even in the right zip code. I mean, the people, the ones who I've seen, the people who I've seen have insane success at ESPN understood that and understood like, Hey, I think I, I kind of fit in better in the background and like the production side. Cause that's really where the jobs are. I mean, it's to get on there really anywhere, any sports network. I mean, it's, it takes a lot of, I don't want to say luck, but it takes a lot of being in the right place at the right time, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I think in general, like long-winded to answer the question, you know, it, it is very different until you see how much work goes into it and how important every role is. Every single role in the truck, every single role of everyone behind the scenes if there is one person that is not doing their job, it's going to be noticeable. And that's the yeah. craziest thing. Yeah. How, <laughs> this is, I'm curious to know how many times and how frustrating is it when you go scrambling and searching frantically for a piece of video and then the producer is like, nah, we don't need it anymore. Boy, I'll tell you what. I. <laughs> <laughs> I, that oh man no that's always frustrating that's the other thing too a video is there's gonna be times you're gonna edit something you're gonna get a clip and you're gonna bust yourself for two days and be like plans change and it's just like sorry we, we don't really need that edit anymore but thanks like save it for later in case someone else needs it yeah oh my god <laughs> but like it's it's tough like as you know like it's i think that's the thing you're not taught in school that's one of those real world things of like sometimes in video you're going to do a lot of stuff and at the last minute it could get scrapped for any various amount of reasons and hardly any of them are personal reasons yeah for the most part it's just business that's all it is but it's still one of those like you said it's just like mm, so frustrating when it happens. 
<laughs> like I worked all night on this. Yeah, I I haven't eaten for a day. <laughs> what I get, <laughs> man. Okay, so you're at ESPN, mm-hmm. and then that transition between you and obviously an opportunity that is very hard to pass up when you're going to be the director of anything, but yeah. you come into this director of creative services role in Bowling Green. But were you looking for other opportunities? Were you just getting like burnt out? Because it can be really, it, it's a lot. It's a lot to be in there and, and be in the fire. So what was that? So that, I mean, that's a great question because that's not, that gets asked a lot because there'll be a lot of times, you know, I'll just be talking with someone about career stuff and they're like, so explain that one. Mm -hmm. And it's really tough to explain, but like you said, there hits a point where the constant grind and the constant, there's always games going on outside of like a couple months, you know, after that, like really two months. And even then you're still working a lot you know, it gets kind of to the point where you go, you know what? Okay. I'm kind of ready for the next challenge. Like I'm, I feel like, I feel like I'm ready at that point to kind of move on and find something else. And the thing with working in minor league baseball and moving to Bowling Green was the ability to finally be able to run a control room and in, in video. And that's what I kind of really wanted to do. It took me a long time and working a lot of production to kind of realize that, and that's what I really wanted to do at the time is really get that experience as well and kind of being the one who's like, okay, I have a vision for how I want this to look. Now I get to make it a reality with a professional team. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Like sometimes in life you take those chances that when the door's presented and the door's open in front of you, I mean, you just got to take it, you know? It's scary too because you don't know what's past that door. I certainly didn't. There were times when I was walking out the door and I was like, I just left the largest sports company in the world. But it was my time to kind of go on. I learned what I needed to learn. And it was my time to kind of advance on and start pushing my own path and start focusing instead on myself, if that kind of makes sense a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I I think when we look at, you know, I've had friends who have started with big sales companies like a striker somewhere and they do that for a couple years they get the training and then they go and they use what they learned there and they go either pursue like a startup company a passion project they they go and do something else so it's cool that your career also has that startup feel to it where you went to the big company you got to espn you did it for a couple years you picked up what you needed to pick up and then you moved on and after COVID, have been able to still maintain, scrape by. I mean, just that, yeah, man, I, I just, I can't understate how much respect and admiration I have for just what those days and weeks must have been like. But to be sitting on the other side of it now, working the gig that you are, mm-hmm. got to be a great feeling. Oh, I mean, it's incredible. It's just been nice to have holidays back. I think a lot of people that enter into the field I work in, as well as a ton of other fields as well. I'm sure there are listeners here that share the same feeling like that have to work Christmases and Thanksgivings and have to sacrifice time away from people they want to be around. It is tough. I mean, that's definitely the hardest part is learning to be okay with that and the pursuit of what you want to do. You know, if your goal is something you desperately want in your heart, 
you'll find a way to make it easy. You know, I found a way to make it fun to make a Thanksgiving meal for one. I got really good at it, actually. <laughs> I did a Cajun turkey one year, Ben. A Cajun turkey. Damn. Like, I okay. went in. So, like, you know, you, but, like, it goes back to the point, you know, you. there's going to be those times, and it's like any path you take, there's going to be those times it's going to suck. Like, it's just, you're just going to be sitting there just like, this is miserable. I'm by myself. Like, this is just awful but the key thing is you know and having a good support system having people you could lean on i know i could text you during those times like between us man like i knew i could do that Mm -hmm. and have that support system behind you so i think it's just so critical to have that support system to get you through a lot of those times because if you try to go into that alone it's going to eat you up and spit you out you know yeah yeah yeah, and you know, it's funny, there's so many parallels between, even though they've, they're different paths, but we've shared a lot of the same experiences, yeah. and I wanted to circle back to working for Minor League Ball Club. Can you tell me about just like the wackiness that is Minor League Athletics and why everybody should at least work one season in Minor League Baseball? Oh, you're going to get such, I'll tell you what, if you work a season in Minor League Baseball, Man, you're gonna learn some. Th- you're gonna learn other duties as assigned. What that really means, because that's a job description that I was not prepared for, but I appreciated. You know, when you work for a team, especially like the Louisville Bats and teams that are AAA, it's a little you know. But as you know, Ben, you have the, you know you have the same experience with them as the Bats. They have a little bit more staff, but it's still the same deal. Like minor league baseball is very much one of those areas where everybody has to play a part like every single person on staff especially when it came to the tarp pool if it ever started (laughs) raining if you work for a smaller team guess who's pulling the tarp you (laughs) (laughs) and i just remember you would just keep an old pair of nasty shoes or like crocs if you had crocs in the clubhouse you were a rock star because you were smart (laughs) That was going to dry out. It wasn't going to stink. It was going to be great. I had an old pair of Nikes. Worst mistake ever made trying to do tarp <laughs> when it's raining on the field because it just sits. It's heinous. But nothing really does prepare you, though. I will say for in my specific field of broadcasting, nothing prepares you for the gauntlet of producing close to well over 40, 50 home games a year yeah. <laughs> and having a production every single day for those. I mean, it definitely grinds when it's day 10 of 13 on the homestand mm. and everyone is exhausted. Everyone's at each other's throats, but you got to put a smile on your face because those gates open at noon and <laughs> <laughs> you can't be upset around anybody. You got to internalize it. So it's just, oh, it was a blast, but no, it was a lot of fun because I really got a lot of creative freedom there to really do different television commercials and all this different stuff that I'd never done before. Yeah. Like it was just, it was crazy and just the learning process. So again, you know, it fits into that as we so eloquently have put it, that Picasso puzzle, you know, it's another weird piece of that little puzzle right, that right. it's another little chunk of info. And just like a Picasso, like eventually you build enough of those pieces together and you keep building them up and you keep advancing your career you know, it's going to build something special, but yeah. it's still funny because you can look at that one piece of minor league baseball and you talk to anybody who's worked around it 
it is fun coming up with promos. I'll say that it is very <laughs> fun <with> promos. <laughs> I think it's such a great experience for anybody. If anybody that's trying to get into sports has an opportunity to get in and do an internship or a position anywhere at any mm-hmm. level with minor league sports, it is so invaluable. The things that you're going to learn, not only with what whatever your vertical is, but also just learning how all those things come together behind the scenes, watching the promotions teams do what they do, watching the people that pull the tarp, watching the creative services, watching guest experiences, like all these different things coming together, how tickets are sold. There's so many different things to learn about how all of those games come together. I think that was probably one of the most important internships that I probably have ever done. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you across the board on that. Just the, when people see that on a resume, people know, like, because your description that you will put for any job you work in minor league baseball is going to be the size of a textbook. Like just because (laughs) the, the amount of responsibilities you do, while it looks like a lot, it looks amazing on a resume. It looks insane because it shows you were able to do all these different things at the same time and juggle that many hats. But what I will say though, was probably my favorite moment I ever had in minor league baseball was when I got to Bowling Green, I got in halfway through the year and our first, one of my first couple games was a game on the 4th of July. And there's a couple that did a proposal inside the stadium. Now I know everyone sees these all the time, but it's really cool when you're on the other side of it, helping execute it. Cause what we did was a word jumble and it was just, you know, a couple of baseball terms. And the final one was, will you marry me? So like, Eww. it's one of those, you're just like, all right, looking at my video board guy, stop the video. Okay. There we go. There's the word play it <laughs> and stop it before it says, will you marry me? Do not <laughs> marry me before we get to the cue point. <laughs> I don't want to ruin this couple's 4th of July at the ballpark <laughs> and their proposal. But when it happened, you know, the whole crowd sees it, everyone cheers, everyone's smiling, you know, you get the shot of them proposing it. It's those moments too, like those little moments of playing a part in making someone's day, making a life memory, really truthfully, you know, that's what I really loved about that job was kind of the creating something special that people are going to think about for the rest of their lives. Cause those just, big memories speaking of big memories earlier you mentioned that feeling that sparked all of this which is watching something and hearing the crowd react can you think of those games or those moments some of that you've either been a part of as a fan in the stands or working in the truck what are some of those moments that register with you on a scale that goes i remember where i was when that happened Oh my gosh. One of the, I've got a couple, so they might be scattershot here, but I promise they're all pretty good. They're all pretty good. Uh, When I was working in Bowling Green, the team at the time clinched their side of the division. We had champagne ready to be brought out. Like congratulations for making the playoffs type deal. And I'm down there with just a super old, just my little camera rig with a pretty old camera on the back, but old girl still works. So (laughs) Still, like, they don't make them like they used to. I'll say that with cameras. But (laughs) I'm standing down there, and I see the champagne coming out, and I just sprint out there with the camera. 
champagne's going everywhere. I'm soaked. But all I remember is just seeing just in the viewfinder and just seeing how happy the guys were, how happy the team was. They're just all hugging on each other, celebrating. And that's one of those of like, you know what? They're going to remember that forever. And I'm kind of happy. It's really cool to play just a tiny little part in that and just document it. Because that's really a lot of these times what it is. It's a lot of smaller, just these documentation of these real human moments and just really cool stuff. I mean, I remember one year for the SEC tournament when I was working with the network, I was interviewing all 14 teams, a couple players from each team just for stuff in-house. And it was for the women's basketball tournament. And I remember interviewing Don Staley at South Carolina and being utterly terrified because (laughs) for those who don't know, Don Staley's a legend in women's college basketball coaching. Like South Carolina wins the SEC borderline every single year. Yeah. Like this year was the first when Kentucky beat them this year in the tournament. That was rare. That's the rarest thing that's happened. So she's a legend. And I just remember sitting there like I've done this before, but I was just like deep breaths. Okay. You got this, man. Just don't screw up. Don't screw up. This is a big interview. <laughs> but those like little moments where you're watching on TV and you're like, okay, I've interviewed them before. Like they're pretty cool. Like they're pretty nice. And it's tough to think of just, one moment. I mean, I remember the first time I was operating uh, a replay machine and it was at UK and it was the first game I had ever done. That's that was linear. So, which means on TV, not Mm -hmm. streaming anywhere. And I just remember sitting there being terrified. Like if this lever doesn't play this out right now, it's going to be frozen on national television. (laughs) I'm about to die. (laughs) (laughs) And you get that pit in your stomach. And really what it is, Ben, it's that little pit in your stomach. Like, that's what I that's what I love the most about it. You know, I, when I was little, it was that little pit in your stomach before you're watching a game on CBS. And they're live in Lexington, Kentucky at UK. And they're showing shots of your hometown. And, you know, you're seeing all this stuff. And you're like, this is so cool. Like, I've got a little pit in my stomach. So anytime I go on air. I always get that little like a minute, 30 seconds, no matter what job I'm doing, no matter what gig I'm working, I still get that little pit of, okay, about to do this live. Let's do it. (laughs) Like it's that good. It's anxiety, but it's that good anxiety. It's that good, like keeps you feeling. And that's why I tell people all the time too, man, is don't ever lose that feeling, that little spark. Yeah, chase that pit in your stomach, that feeling, what you're talking about is such a powerful feeling. I mean, that's exactly, to me, hearing you say that, that's how I know that it's real for you. And that's how I know that you are you are doing something that you love is because no matter how many times that red light goes on, you still have that feeling, that urge, just that, I don't know, man, just that energy, you know, that you bring to every single broadcast. It's truly a gift. And to get to see you continue to work on that and perfect that and go deeper down this path is really cool, man. I appreciate that, man. It's one of those that when you love what you do, like that old saying, if you love it, you don't work a day in your life. Yeah, There are definitely times where work's work, but for the most part, man, when you do what you love to do, man, you're just going to be happier and it's just going to make everything better. <laughs> 
I want to ask, we, you know, we've gone so deep on just a lot of journalism stuff, a lot of industry related stuff. Mm-hmm. How about just deep personal stuff? I usually start by asking where people grew up and how they grew up. And, you know, I know you're from Lexington, went to Dunbar High School, but do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I do. I've, I'm the youngest of three older sisters. And it was, you know, it's one of those growing up, being the youngest and being the only boy in the family is definitely times when being the younger brother, you're, you have to play dress up and you have to, you know, do all this other, you know, do everything that your older sisters want to do. And you're just like, oh, goodness. But it's like every, it's like any sibling rivalry. (laughs) But no, everything's, yeah, growing up in Lexington, I kind of just like, really just, it's a fun town to grow up in, man. And it was, it's super crazy because the friends I had when I was in middle school, I still talk to today. You know, it's one of those that when you grow up in the same town that you always have, you have that connection already. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you, you already have those people around you. So yeah, you know, on a personal level, yeah. Like it, it, everything was good growing up too. You know, I didn't really have a ton of immediate struggles. You know, I, school was just the only thing I would say I really struggled with you know, growing up really was just school. I was just not a, I think I blame the creative in me for that. Just school for me, just, it was tough to just, the subjects I wasn't invested in, I did not care at all about, mm-hmm. you know, like it's one of those of like, if it was anything about history or English, oh, loved it, loved it. Anything outside of that, just, it was tough. You know, math, I'm just not going to math. And, and just a rule of thumb out there, folks. If someone's in journalism or in a creative field, you probably are not going to be amazing at math. There's probably a correlation there. I'm, I could be very wrong, but it's people like us. The We're the ones that make you laugh, not build bridges. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Don't, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, man. Well, again, just wrapping up a lot of, uh, I just love you, man. I mean, we go back so far and there's so many times that we were up early on Sunday mornings and just thinking about tracing some of my origins. I can't get too deep into the story without your name starting to pop up in there. And it's just cool, man. So I, I, I hope that anybody that listens to this, not only if it's your friends and your family who are listening and just getting to hear your story. And I hope that they definitely see that you did have a plan, that things did work out. You know what you're doing, right? But also for our people that are just listening that are maybe younger students or thinking about getting into journalism and broadcasting, they can kind of listen to what you've laid out and get a really good feel for it. Because I I think, I mean, your resume and, and your Picasso masterpiece lends itself so well to people who are trying to get into the industry. And like you said, everybody thinks that they're going to be on air. Everybody thinks that they're going to be Kirk Herbstreet or Sage Steele or whoever. And it just, it's so few people that actually do, but that doesn't mean that you're excluded from the industry. You can find a place in the industry and you can find happiness in it. And I think that was something that I've 
probably struggled with as a broadcaster as it relates to sports, just trying to find your place in it, but wouldn't change a thing and really thankful that we've been able to stay connected for all this time and proud of you, man. I appreciate that, brother. You know, the feeling's mutual with you. You know, I've always, I've watched Real Talk just evolve over the years from just the the basic start to like where it is now, man, and just the people you have on. And I'm so thankful you wanted to hear my side of the story. You know, I'm not used to that, but thank you so much, man. You know, it's, I love doing this enough. I hope anyone has a takeaway again from this very broadcast heavy episode. It's just like you said, if the industry, no matter what industry you want to go in, if plan A doesn't work out, man, just there's nothing wrong with finding something else in there. As long as you find something that you love to do, man, that's, that, that's all you need. That's all you need. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to go in? Because sometimes I have this like, when it's somebody that's specific to an industry or an author or something, I do tend to focus a lot on just that subject. So is there anything that you'd like to talk about? You know, I, I talk, I love trauma. Benny T and the T stands for trauma, yep. you know, yep. you, you know that. So is, oh, is there any, and you've listened to enough of the episodes to get that. So is there anything that like, what's the one question that you want me to ask you? Oh, that's good. Who's going to win the Oaks now? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is Oaks as we're recording this, but yeah, you know, I think really the one thing I've noticed really, and I know this is kind of going back to the broadcast industry a bit, and this is a little out there, but I think it does need to be brought up of how cool it is that so many more women are now getting involved in the back end of this. Like now you're starting to see what was such a field dominated by one demographic for years mm-hmm. behind the scenes, you're starting to see other representations and other people come on board from different backgrounds and different walks of life and different areas and different upbringings. And what I will say is what that's starting to translate to on TV mm-hmm. is a more realistic experience and a more realistic feeling. Because a lot of these producers that are starting to come up now are coming from different various backgrounds. They're including stuff, you know, from their personal lives and like personal missions. So the evolution you're seeing right now in sports broadcasting, I feel like is pretty incredible and has been needed for a long time. Yeah, it's largely been a, just like so many other sectors, an industry dominated by old white men. Yeah. Yeah. And here's two more of them, but at least yep. <laughs> we're, we're celebrating and embracing and, and welcoming other people mm-hmm. to the table, other stories yeah. to be told, other perspectives. And yeah, I think it's cool that there is more inclusion now in it when, I don't know, man, I got my beef with old white men. Yeah. I'm going to be, I'm going to yeah. become one, but I never want to become I, one at the same time. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, you know, I, I hope I never become like some of those people i pray i never do (laughs) but like i can already tell like if the trash isn't picked up on time now man like if it's not picked up for 6 a.m i'm salty like i'm angry i'm full (laughs) old man like i'll stand on my porch and yell like (laughs) back uh, in my day back in my back to that back in my day i'll be saying that here in like 10 years (laughs) everyone just looks at you just like you like (laughs) all right Final question. Yes. 
Give me your realist talk. Give me the one thing that you want everybody listening to know about life, about people, about business, careers. If it's a mantra you live by every day, what is the one thing, the most important thing that you want people to take away from this? Give me your realist talk. The realest talk I have, man. I've been thinking on this for a couple of days, actually, of what I wanted to say. Really? Dead serious. I'm not kidding. I've, that This has been the one question that I've okay. been like stumped trying to answer in my head. <laughs> There's so many. But I think what I've just finally laid out on, and the one piece of advice I really want people to go away with this is, it will all work out. It might not be your career or your life or your situation, might not be great right now, but I promise it all works out. Like if there are dark days right now, if you know, if you can't see the light right now, I promise everything works out. You can only control what you can control. You can't control outside forces. If you control what you can control and you just stay happy and you just keep pushing forward, man, life is going to treat you and reward you well. Boom. Perfect. Boom. <laughs> My man, Nick Jordan, thank you so much, dude. Thank you, Benny. Love you, man. Love you too, bro. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that one. I did. I feel like I say that every single time. I'm just like, hey, I loved that. I don't care if you did or not. I hope you loved it. But if you didn't, guess what? I still loved it. This was a great episode, man. And uh, great guest, great guy, great connection. I love me some Nikki J, baby. By this time next week, I will be reporting from my new apartment, and I've got a little, I, I've got some things in the works, okay? I've got some things in the works for the studio set up in the apartment, and stay tuned, my friends. Follow along at BennyTomp18. That's all I'm going to say. I got some big things coming up. It's going to be exciting. Can't wait to get out of this hotel and into my space, man. It's been, <laughs> it's been too long, man. It's been too long. And I also have another awesome episode ready to drop. Not sure if I'm going to do it next week or the following week. I'm leaning towards next week, but uh, it's with my guy Andy Sly. He's a Tesla influencer, and he lives in Louisville, Kentucky. Who would have thought, you know? So we had a really great conversation, and I'm excited for that one to drop. And I'm also really excited for some of the guests that I haven't taped with yet, but that once I get into my apartment and get my studio set up, then I'm going to be introducing some new Atlanta people onto the show and continuing to grow and build this tribe one by one, week by week, episode by episode. All I ask is that you stay tuned and stay along for the ride, my friends. All right, I'm back next week. I am Ben Tompkins. That is Real Talk.